Hey guys, before we get started today, wanted to tell you about another great ESPN podcast. You've heard of it, the Dominique Foxworth Show. You know him. Dominique has his own show. It is excellent. Twice a week, he's bringing his unique perspective on football, personalities around it, everything he finds interesting or thinks you might. So check out the Dominique Foxworth Show. Listen wherever you're listening to this podcast. The Media Time Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast one of the hosts thinks garbage time sounds delicious. That's Lenny. <laughs> he truly will eat anything. Is Cisco like that, Field Yates? He is exactly like that. As a matter of fact, it um, like we've had to have a talk recently because some of the things that he is ingesting are beyond even my most ridiculous imagination of what a dog would actually enjoy. <laughs> and he has totally mastered this, as you know, Mina, and maybe some of your audience knows, I have now a nearly one-year-old daughter, and she is at the age now where she is able to not only take on solid food, but also sort of like handle the food on her own. Like if you gave her a tiny, tiny piece of, I don't know, like if you cut a piece of pizza into small bites, she can grab it and she can decide mm-hmm. when she wants to eat it, when she wants to put it down. She can also decide if she wants to throw it over her seat and feed it to the dog. And Cisco oh, has wow. mastered the art of profiting. <laughs> oh, unholy alliance. Yeah. Um, so Lenny just eats anything as well. And he mm-hmm. also figured out that I have this bag where I keep snacks and that I take to work. And uh, yesterday night when I came home, I found I was looking in he, his bed. He had taken one of my energy bars. It wasn't unwrapped, though, which is fascinating because usually mm. as soon as he finds something he'll eat it but he had just spirited away this unwrapped energy bar in his own bed which i i don't know kind of a new layers to his knowledge so a little bit intimidating i mean who wouldn't love an energy bar with a wrapper on top of it i'm sure that just sounds delicious that sounds like um that that is the treat of 2023 for dogs everywhere um field it's good to see you it's the very well hear you it's the very end the NFL season, it is, has been an unbelievably chaotic, tragic, scary, humbling week. Um, earlier, I, I hit you up earlier in the week, or actually yesterday, yesterday after I taped with Dominique to say, you know, I, I still want to have you on today. I'm just going to talk about the games. Um, but at the moment, you know, I, I we got to not only continue to monitor situation with the Mar Hamlin, but also we don't really know what this means for a lot of scheduling. And I, I figure we should start off today by updating listeners on both counts. Um, so for those who haven't you know, been following the story today, we, we're taping on Wednesday. Um, the latest news we've got from the Buffalo Bills is that things are improving for DeMar, but that's really all we know. Um, it's been pretty vague coming out of there. And then we did hear from Bengals head coach, Zach Taylor, who I thought was really wonderful, um, just talking about, you know, his experience of uh, witnessing the horrible incident on Monday night, talking to Sean McDermott, who he says, you know, met him on the field as it was happening and said he had to be at the hospital, he shouldn't be coaching the game, and that was that. Uh, And then finally, ultimately, concluding with the fact that we still don't know if this game is going to be played, and... Um, Again, this could really change by the time you guys are listening to this, but that's what we know at the moment. 
at around so we are taping this in full disclosure Wednesday yeah. uh, early evening on the East Coast so my clock currently reads 5:48 p.m. and I was told this morning that the week 18 games will be played as scheduled and there was no caveats no well we will see shortly after that or a few hours after that Troy Vincent who is of course part of the league's front office and part of their power branch did acknowledge that uh, they have at least talked about the possibility of needing to adjust the timing of specifically this Bills Patriots game which is mm. right now scheduled to be played 1 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday in Buffalo. What I would say, Mina, is that while the league may have a plan, what we don't know is, A, uh, the status, of course, you know, we, we don't know how DeMar's health is going to progress over these next few days. We're very hopeful that it continues to be in a very positive manner, but we just don't know the answer to that. And what we don't know is the human side of this, which is the Bills held a walkthrough today. We don't know what the emotions were like inside that building. We could probably surmise how difficult it was. But what if over the next couple of days, the Bills rally together and express their belief that they're not prepared mentally to play a game on Sunday, which whether there were consequences like there are, which specifically tie to the AFC playoff picture or not, if NFL players collectively come together and say, we're not fit to play a game that requires 60 minutes of human battering rams, is that the best thing for the league to do, to subject these players six days after an incredibly traumatic experience, probably the most traumatic that either you or I have ever seen on a football field? That, to me, seems like a risky endeavor for the league to just press upon these players if they don't believe they are ready. So while I think... The league stance right now is they are planning to play the game at 1 p.m. on Sunday. I think we need to be prepared for anything to happen over these next couple of days. As well as like the very real possibility that football players, the Bills, Bengals, the Bills in particular here, you know, being as good at compartmentalizing as they are, as mentally tough as they are, um, could very well say we're going to do this we're going to do it for each other we're going to do it for our teammate but that doesn't make it any easier for them i mean i it's just a horrible situation to you know i, I was saying this on nfl live today like you know the first i've been thinking like the first time i see a player get hit on sunday and then not get up which happens every weekend you know not to the extent obviously of what we saw but to you know just a, a player get hurt basically i like i'm gonna just it's going to be incredibly jarring. Now imagine, again, being one of these players, having witnessed that, having thought this could happen to me at any moment, returning to the field and playing with the physicality and violence required to play in the NFL. It's a, it's a daunting, daunting task. I wish they didn't have to do it. I wish they could push this all back, everything back a week, you know, for all the players, but like, it's just not going to happen. So yeah. It's, it's a tough there, situation Mina. for everyone. The only thing that I would add is, and I, I don't even know if it's worth comparing the situation that DeMar Hamlin experienced on Monday night to any other recent notable health situations, but like I remember being queasy thinking about earlier this year, Justin Herbert being back on the field after he suffered broken ribs, right? And the same thing with Alex Smith when he returned. I believe oh my God. the first game. When Aaron Donald yeah, jumped Aaron on his Donald. back. Yeah, and you're sitting there like, thinking ah! to yourself, and Alex Smith went through something extremely <sighs> traumatic, obviously. 
But it's a different story when it's a broken leg that required you know, a, a ridiculous amount of surgeries. And just obviously it was it became much worse than the initial injury was, right? But our concern was there after guys were coming back from injuries that I'm not saying we see all the time, but you do see on occasion in the NFL. And I think that all of our, or many of our former players have done a really great job, better than certainly I could, of, of, of explaining sort of the mentality that they believe these players probably have right now or will have come Sunday afternoon at 1 p.m. if this game is played. But I would just say that this would be a weekend where if you are consuming football as a fan, which millions and millions and millions of people will, that like grace is certainly expected and I think is, is, is probably required because while these players, as you said, are experts in compartmentalizing and they are gladiators in human form in so many ways, I just think this is the most unique set of circumstances surrounding a game that I can recall in quite some time. So it it leaves a lot up in the air at the moment as regarding seating, standings, all of this. Um, although I, I guess it's worth noting here, correct me if I'm wrong, if the Chiefs who are 13-3 and three win the afternoon game on Saturday – the one seed is over, right? It's locked up for them, regardless of Bills Bengals. It is not. Oh, it's not. Okay, this is, is why not. you're here because so, yeah, all the so all these seedings. Maybe yeah. just a quick recap for those that aren't following these standings meticulously every single week. But as of right now, the Bills, again with one fewer game played than Kansas City, are twelve and three. Oh, the tie right. break they could win Kansas this weekend. City. Oh, yeah. yeah. So if the Bills were to go to thirteen Sorry. and three, and the yeah. Chiefs were to go to. Uh, 14 and 3, the Chiefs would have the one seed Jesus. by winning percentage, but of course the Bills would say, well, we Ooh. get one fewer game. So is it fair? Is it justifiable for Kansas City to have that number one seed? I mean, I, th- I think, and I was talking about this with our producers just before the show, I think there's only one way, if I'm not mistaken, I've calculated everything appropriately, where um, the one, two, three, could be determined by the end of this weekend, and there would be no way that a Bengals-Bills game would subsequently influence it. And so if the and this is probably unlikely, but hear me out. If the Chiefs were to lose to the Raiders, they would be 13-4. and four. If the Bills were to beat the Patriots, they would be 13-3, and three, so they would have the one seed based mm-hmm. off of winning percentage. If the Bengals were then to lose to the Ravens, they would go to 11-5, and so they would still be a half game up over the Ravens, but they would also be behind the Bills and the Chiefs, so the standings at the top of the AFC would be the same after this weekend as they were going into this past week, which was Buffalo 1, Kansas City 2, Cincinnati 3. The reality is that if that Bills-Bengals game is not played, somebody is going to have some sort of, you know, they're going to have some sort of gripe, whether it matters or not. And I think right now, I'm not sure Elite does, about, well, if this game had been played and Buffalo had won or Cincinnati had won, it would impact us in this way. So um, I'm not sure what the NFL will do if those three results do not take place as I laid them out. Again, Kansas City losing, Buffalo winning, Cincinnati losing. And Mm -hmm. in the case of two out of those three, both Buffalo and uh, Cincinnati would be losing as decided favorites in their respective matchups. Jeez. And you know that I'm sure that's going to enter into the decision-making, not just the part of, you know, the NFL, but the teams 
um, as they consider that over the next few days. So something yeah. to monitor. Um, you know, I there's I certainly don't have the answer for what the right approach is or what the team should do or what the players should want to do or that the NFL will do in this case. Um, but at the very least, it's a decision that doesn't have to be made in the immediate future. The decision about playing this weekend does. Uh, I did, so I, you know, I sent you a list of the games that are sort of just significant, I guess. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because there's, there's a couple of, you know, there's some, some real big games in terms of, for both sides, obviously the the battle for the AFC South. We'll see what happens with Detroit and Green Bay. We'll talk about that later. But then there's also, I think, games where that are important because teams can play spoiler. The case of the Rams, for example, mm-hmm. um, the uh, Seahawks, uh, the, the, the Browns, the, the Browns the and the, yeah, yeah, there's just a lot, a lot going on across the board. So I figured we would just kind of bounce around and talk about some of these games. Um, and, you know, I I guess I do want to start with Bill's Patriots because, um, you know, assuming this is played, so just to lay out, the, you know, for the Patriots, this is, I, I feel like I should just have you lay out the playoff implications because yeah. I'm more likely to mess it up than you. So, so uh, the Patriots block, have block two through. scenarios here. Yes. And I think the Bill's side of this game is going to be tricky for us to dive into too much for all the reasons that we yes. just discussed. We don't know what, you know, again, I, I don't. Josh Allen at his best is perhaps the best player in the world, but if he's in a fragile state of mind, he's a human after all, then we don't know how his performance will be. But the Patriots have two paths to the playoffs. One of them is very clear, win in Buffalo, and they are in no matter what happens elsewhere. Yes. They can also lose and then have the Dolphins and the Steelers lose. And that would also, the Dolphins, Steelers, and uh, Titans all lose. So, um, which... You know that that would require the Jaguars to beat the Titans, the Browns to beat the Steelers, and the Jets to be the Dol- to beat the Dolphins. Mm-hmm. So, um, the Patriots are certainly obviously focused on winning, but there is a pathway for them to make the playoffs if they get some fortune on their side, even if they lose on Sunday in Buffalo. Well, let's let's focus on the Patriots side of this, um, um, sort of in the extent of like what we've seen from them lately, and then potentially what would it take for them. To pull off the upset against the Bills. I mean, I think, you know, what we've really seen, I mean, it's kind of been the story of the Patriots season could best be summed up as inept offense and feisty Mm -hmm. defense. Um, And I think I would say this, you know, against Miami, which is a game that I watched with a lot of interest, the defense was pretty much exactly what you would expect, even with the injuries that they had at cornerback. Um, deploying all of those extra safeties the way they do. Uh, they did, I thought, I thought it was a really fantastic game plan. We're going to talk about the Dolphins later uh, to try to neutralize their passing attack, whether it was Teddy Bridgewater under center, who had more success than Skylar Thompson. Um, but offensively, it was interesting field because, um, again, th- for large stretches of the game, it was kind of more of the same, right? Like it just... Uh, a lack of, I mean, there's so many things to say about this Patriots offense. We've kind of said it all. There's just kind of a lack of consistency, That's seeming lack of preparation for the blitz and certain pressures. Um, the run game is hit or miss. But I will say this. Matt Jones had some moments in this yeah. game. I, yeah. I, I don't, I still think this is, you know, there's a lot to be frustrated about with Patriots offense and uh, on multiple counts, both the play calling and I think Mac Jones's play. 
but he there, he there are a couple, a few big throws in this game. A few times he connected with Jacoby Myers, especially against the Dolphins' man coverage that shows you glimpses of at least like, you know, this isn't entirely dead. It is not, um, and I don't know if this is even a worthwhile thing bringing up right now, but I'm convinced that the Patriots' offensive struggles are they're attributable to everybody, but I think Mac Jones is less the problem um, than perhaps other elements that have contributed to a lot of their offensive woes this year. He's far from perfect, but I do think there is a much better version of Mac Jones available somewhere, and it's probably going to take— um, some 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 alterations this offseason to extract that Mac Jones. Uh, but he has been a little bit better of late, Mina. Uh, worth noting that over his past eight games, just one interception, that was something that mm-hmm. really plagued him at the beginning of the year. Consistency, though, has been the word that I think comes to mind most frequently. I'm not expecting things to change much for any team in a wholesale manner in week 18 of the NFL's regular season. So while I think it would behoove the Patriots to be uh, more balanced offensively. I, I, I know I sound like Marcus Spears right now uh, talking about the need to run the football more, but I thought that Damian Harris being back this past week was yeah. an important spark plug, but I wouldn't mind seeing even more of Damian Harris. Not that Ramondre Stevenson has been anything other than exceptional this season, but the Patriots right now, uh, when you have an offensive line that has had a lot of moving parts this year and has some inexperienced players, a guy playing right tackle who's done an admirable job as a practice squad signing like a month ago in Connor McDermott. I'm just telling you, any offensive lineman will probably relay this. They prefer to be moving forwards than they like moving backwards. The more you can run the football, the more <laughs> I think it allows this team to be a little bit more competent in those blitz pressure pickups. And I, I think that is an important element for them and then i think as far as the offense goes mina and this might actually really apply to the special teams or the defense because they don't often churn out key drives they did get one against miami in the fourth quarter this past week this team needs a big play some way shape or form they've gotten four straight games with the defensive score obviously uh, their defense as you mentioned before has been exceptional in a lot of ways especially of late they need that though on offense this week or 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 some way and i just don't because i don't expect them to be able to consistently string together eight to 12 play drives for somewhere between 60 and 75 yards it does not seem to be the offensive components this year the driver he got Myers lined up against the Dolphins linebacker after motioning him out. He had a gorgeous throw to Myers earlier um, who, you know, Myers, he's really good at getting open. The thing about this Patriots receiver field is like, if they're, if they all slid one slot down, I actually think it would be a really good group. You know what I mean? Like if they, like if you threw in, let's say like AJ Brown was on the scene, I don't know. And then all of a sudden Jacoby Myers and Kendrick Bourne and Tyquan Thornton are next men up because they all have really unique skill sets. Obviously you see Thornton's speed, talked about Myers getting open, Kendrick Bourne's so great at contested catches and with the ball in his hands. Suddenly it's like, oh wow, this, this is a really nice group. But the problem is no, no one's a true X, right? So it's just quite it's just missing still that that number one wide receiver um defensively let's go back to that for a second you know i the pass rush right now i think has the potential to be pretty cool um getting christian barmore back who was unbelievable this last week 
massive, massive for that four-man rush. And whether it's in this Buffalo game, where I think that that's probably the biggest mashup advantage they have is in the trenches on that side of the ball, or beyond, um, this is a, like, I, I don't really have a lot of concerns about this defense, albeit, you know, maybe against some some of the better offenses with the injuries at cornerback, that's an issue. But for the most part, I really, really like what they're doing right now. Yeah, I think that uh, defensively, like, I think probably right now there's one player who merits, like, well, I think he was already named to the Pro Bowl, but, like, all pro consideration, and that being Matthew Judon, mm-hmm. but the Patriots are just full of, like, really good defensive players beyond that. Maybe not super-duper stars, but guys that are playing up to or if not the best football of their career. Uh, the return of Christian Barmore you mentioned was important. They've actually turned their linebacker group from an area of like major question mark yeah. into the season to an area where it's kind of the fabric of the defense. It's guys that uh, you know, Juwan Bentley has been in you know He's probably been so good. Yeah, and for a long time where he was great was just like he was one of the toughest linebackers in the league, just eight class. But he's improved his movement skills. He seems much more active in the middle of the defense. And then, you know, Lions fans somewhere are probably gonna have a chuckle here, but like Jelani Tavai <laughs> has really become just like a really <laughs> solid football player. And I think yeah. that's something that happens in sports all the time. Maybe he was miscast as a second-round pick. Maybe it wasn't a perfect investment at the time. But he's a minimum, well, until recently, was a minimum contract player for the Patriots, and they were squeezing every ounce of him that they could. So across the board of the linebacker group, defensive line has found a bunch of either hidden gems or guys that have just been rock-solid contributors that have kind of blossomed this year. Josh Uche, your guy, has blossomed, has, has, mm. has had the breakout year. And then in the secondary, Mina, they have uh, strength in numbers, right? They don't have a lockdown cornerback, and um, their safety group is is numerous. Uh, but they just all play extremely well together. And the Kyle Duggar, another one of your guys, the Kyle Duggar breakout party has <laughs> been uh, one of the good storylines for them uh, this season. I mean, all of a sudden they're much, you know, their their draft track record is what it is. But those last three drafts, the last three drafts of the Patriots, all of a sudden look like real like roster altering right i mean there are three picks from 2020 that are still around are all like legitimately pro bowl potential players in josh uche kyle duggar and mike Unwenu, who is their best offensive player probably this year at the guard spot so um duggar has been so fun to watch i know you talked about him recently on nfl live and uh, these are the kind of things that they need they need one explosive play or probably more than that against the Bills to hang in this game because offensively they just don't have it right now to just churn out multiple clock-eating drives where they can reasonably go 65 yards or longer and expect a touchdown because their red zone offense has been, if not the worst, right near the bottom of the NFL for much of this season. Yeah, and that's really jobs one, two, three, four in the offseason because, you know, I mean – like I said, I don't think, I think Mac Jones has, it, he, he's not the primary reason why this offense, I think, has struggled the way they have, but he's also not had a good year. I do think, however, he's going to get another chance next year. You know, I don't think it's going to be like a Zach Wilson scenario where I would be no, surprised. No, no, no. So I do think it's just all about finding the right play caller and then upgrading at uh, wide receiver, as we discussed. So, and then hopefully some continuity in the offensive line will help too. So, um, you know, we'll see. Maybe there's, like we said, there's a chance that they get in. We'll see. Uh, and if so, it's kind of, then it would just come down to like, can Bill Belichick put together, you know, some kind of 4D chess plan on <laughs> defense and you know, as he has want to do, that would cause some problems depending on the opponent. Um, okay. So you alluded to this game also, Brown Steelers. So yep. 
Um, now I'm going to lazily again. So, so field, what, what needs to happen for the Steelers to make it to the playoffs? Uh, so the Browns, I thought, put together their best offensive quarter of the season, or at least since Deshaun Watson took over as the yep. starter back in week 13. That was this past week uh, against the Commanders. And I thought that, you know, Deshaun Watson, I think he, he completed nine passes on Sunday. Like, I'm not going to confuse this with some sort of masterpiece performance. But one thing that I thought really showed up on Sunday was scheme. I mean, yeah. the run after catch stuff on Sunday was outstanding for the Browns. I mean, Amari Cooper had Amari a Cooper. long touchdown <laughs> run. And, you know, obviously he's going to be able to find yards after catch on his own with his ability. But and one of the touchdowns, he it was like it was a like maybe like a 12 yard reception or 10 yard reception that he turned into a 46 yard touchdown. But insane play. The, by Amari yeah, ridiculous. I mean, it's just absurd. Um, but the. You know, the yards after catch created by scheme were also really impressive this past, specifically in the fourth quarter. So the Browns are definitely, and this doesn't matter, but they are definitely more talented than a normal 7-9 and nine team is. So I think this game is relatively close to a pick em. Um, But I think for the Steelers, what they need to do is finish drives. And we just talked about the Patriots' red zone woes. The Steelers early in that game against Baltimore, they did score early, and then it was just like two and a half quarters of offensive morass. It was like, what are we doing here? And they're always going to be a team that's going to want to run the football a ton. But it felt like in the fourth quarter, late in that game, I'm watching Kenny Pickett and I'm thinking yeah. to myself, why weren't we doing this for the first or for the last two and a half quarters, basically? Because um, they do have like. As, as everybody here listening knows, like they've got legit playmakers in that wide receiver room. Like they've got guys who are appropriately slotted where they should be as wide receivers, right? George Pickens, I can't remember your the specific wording of your tweet, but like basically every George Pickens catch is guaranteed to be talked about one way or the other because it's either like a ridiculous just like make a normal catch, stuff. just make I an know. unlike uh, just make a normal catch, just like you know, know. just once. Know. There are um, two guys who have to jump when they catch the ball, and he is he's seemingly one of them. <laughs> Uh, so um, yeah. I think Pittsburgh needs to be like probably maybe a tad more aggressive than I think I saw them yeah. for like two quarters or two and a half quarters on Sunday night um, because uh, with Baltimore, I think they knew that like Baltimore was not going to hang 25 or 30 on them this past Sunday night. I don't know if the Cleveland will, but I think they are capable of doing that. Yeah. Pittsburgh fans are, you know, they, I think Matt Canada is probably the most um, – the biggest recipient of anger of any, maybe, maybe honestly, I think we just Ro- covered the two of them. Well, right? I was say I mean, Roman, Greg Roman. I think we have three then, because I think it's those two plus Matt Patricia, right? I mean, I yeah, think. well, Patricia, yeah, Patricia of so. the three most deservedly, in my opinion. But um, okay, well, first I want to just I, 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 so the the Steelers have to win, and then they need the Bills to win or tie, I guess, and then the Jets. Yep. So we're gonna talk about that game too. Yeah, the it's realistic. Do have life. It is totally, realistic. totally realistic scenario. So to yep. your point, I want to start with the Steelers offense because you talked about kind of the need to, they obviously have to, they more likely than not have to put up more points uh, either in this game and beyond. It's kind of like a chicken or egg thing with the aggression though. Like I think some of the frustration with Matt Canada, there's this feeling like, well, you're not letting Kenny Pickett air it out. But I do think to some extent he's also protecting Kenny Pickett a little bit. Mm. Um, that said, when I was watching them, you know what really struck me? Well, so the the in the Browns, the probably the Ravens Steelers games, as you said, you know the run game has looked the best it's looked in the Najee Harris era. He looked awesome, but a lot of that was the blocking, and that was the other thing that struck me. Field is like, dang, like 
Slavon's alliance playing all right. Like, I, I, I think this was always kind of a thing during Ben Roethlisberger's final years, wondering, like, you know, Ben Roethlisberger getting the ball out so quick, but is it in part because the offensive line is really bad? I really think that they've improved at protecting Pickett. And I, I've talked about this. Dominique and I talked about this. I'm, I, I've become, like, a big fan of his this season. I, I think, in particular, I like the fact that he's improved upon things in college in terms of his decisiveness. Now, he, he does bail, I think, on clean pockets, sometimes Mm -hmm. but you did see in the fourth quarter like you know he's got a little he's got a playmaker in him too like he's he made some really difficult throws and then i do like these steelers receivers now i will say you talked about what we saw like in that second half from deshaun watson and amari cooper um the browns defense has kind of turned things around and i think that's that is right like because it it's been funny because i think yeah, it's really like when Deshaun Watson came back, it, was, it kind of coincided with that. So they were like winning games, but not because of Watson. It, it, it was almost like the, the sides reversed because in the beginning, first half of the season with Brissett, the offense was so much better than the defense. Um, but, you know, some of it has to do with the level of competition, but you're no longer seeing the just terrible coverage busts that you saw. I would say the secondary, everybody's just kind of playing better. I actually pulled this because I was curious over the last month um, the Browns have allowed the lowest passer rating, or pardon me, their first in EPA versus pass, fifth lowest passer rating. Uh, they they are allowing the lowest QBR in man coverage in football. They play a lot, a fair amount of man coverage too. And, um, you know, some of it obviously starts up front with Garrett being as dominant as he is, but really like you're getting better plays from guys like, you know, rookie cornerback Martin Emerson, Grant Delpit was an unbelievable in the commander's game. They're just kind of, there's not really like a big schematic thing or anything. They're just kind of all playing a little bit better back there. Yeah, and I have noticed over the past month, like you mentioned the the context of the opponents. Like certainly yeah. it's helped when you got the the, the Bucks, who until last week were yeah, who knows? just a disaster <laughs> offensively. The Texans, the Bengals, which they lost that game 23-10. Uh, to 10, And Joe Burrow was fine. He wasn't dominant, but he was certainly fine enough. Uh, and then the Ravens without Lamar Jackson and the Saints in that crazy win game. And then the Commanders with Carson Wentz. But what I will tell people is that while, yes, the competition that you are facing helps, I also think that, like, even if you're beating up on bad offenses, like, it's, I, th- I think there is, an, there is a mental side of that, that I think these guys have, like, a stronger belief in the system and themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that that re-manifests itself with better play in subsequent weeks after that. So I think there are some elements of real. And um, every year, Mina, not every year, but for like the past two or three years, the Browns have been one of those teams where you look at the boxes that are required to be checked to be a successful football team, and on paper, they seem to check a lot of them. This was a team that, even knowing that Deshaun Watson was going to be out for the first 11 games, a lot of people thought if they can just sort of hang around, if they can be 5-6, and six, they could maybe push for the AFC North or at least, and more realistically, push for a wild card spot. It hasn't transpired that way, but the Browns playing like they have for the past month, I think is more of them playing to expectation as opposed to yeah, them playing I think over it, expectation. A thousand percent. I think it kind of regressed a little bit too. Because they were, you know, they're not untalented. Like it, they were playing so much worse than their talent level through the first half of the season on defense. Although I will say they still struggle a bit against the run. So I, I do think that Steelers run game that we talked about being improved will matter. And then on the other side of the ball, this is still a run first team, whether it's Watson, frankly, using his legs or Nick Chubb. 
Uh, and and that's, I think, where the Steelers do have an edge because there's still a pretty good run defense, fourth in rushing DVOA. That defensive front, especially with TJ Watt now back in the fold, um, it has been super solid for them. So, you know, <laughs> he, I, and he had the, I think probably most people will recall his penalty from Sunday night, but um, Cam Hayward is just oh my ridiculous. God. And that, it sort of defies. They don't win that game unless he makes that, the play that was uh, the bull rush on the previous drive was unbelievable. He's getting bigger somehow. He's like, <laughs> he's in his, what, early to mid 30s. Like, he is somehow getting bigger. Like, he looks boxier. Like, he looks like he is. <laughs> I, I don't even know how it's possible for him to be playing at this high of a level at that age. Um, but there are a couple guys. I mean, Cam Hayward, Jordan, you know, Cam Jordan, both guys. I get mm-hmm. maybe it's a maybe it's a Cam thing, but uh, <laughs> a couple of these guys in their early to mid thirties playing along the defensive line that seemingly don't make sense. Uh, but he was tremendous on on, on Sunday night and, and kind of had his way with some of the interior of the offensive line for the Ravens. And he's been doing everything for them this year. Cam Hayward has like early in the season, he was kicking out more to sort of a five technique, playing on the edge because they kind of needed them to. And he's been playing it seemingly more in his sort of natural habitat and uh, just wrecking people. And he could very well do that even against what is at its best, a very good interior offensive line uh, yeah. for the, the Browns. So um just, I don't even know how it's possible that he's still doing this. Like his brother is like twelve years younger than him, and they're now teammates in the NFL. But it's a marvel to see. He has been remarkably consistent. Yeah, this this one, it could really go either way. I, I think the um, the availability of Jack Conklin and Denzel Ward will be pretty meaningful. In yeah, this as of as right well. now, neither one of them ruled out yeah. was the that that's that's as far as we know as of this conversation. So uh would not be surprised either way. But um this this game I think this game weirdly matters for Cleveland. Um obviously it does not matter in terms of the playoff picture. I think it does matter though because I think there has been some soul searching for the Browns over the past month. Why have we not been much better offensively when we got this player back who we are paying $230 million over five seasons? And the expectation is that you would be awesome on offense right away. And Mm -hmm. people can give you any number of excuses. He had an entire training camp. He's been practicing. He's been back in the building since October 10th or something. He was practicing for like a month before his first game, Mina. Like Brock Purdy was like collecting dust for 12 weeks and all of a sudden is playing. I'm not saying he's, you know, whatever. He's not like, he's not Patrick Mahomes, but like the Niners offense is very much afloat with a guy who probably got like one first team practice rep for the first eight months of his NFL existence. Like there have been far worse circumstances where players have excelled than Deshaun Watson's had. So I think there has been some soul searching. Like why aren't we better? Why haven't we been more effective? And I think that this game matters on Sunday. Like we need to prove that going into next year, we have the personnel, the scheme, the identity to be a team that next year should be considered an AFC contender. And I know that even this game this game is eight months away from the first game of 2023, but I do think it matters. I have been a part of a locker room where like the last game of our regular season matter going into the next year. Like my first year in Kansas City, we went to Denver in the final week and it wasn't for the playoffs. I think I might have actually pushed us down the draft board by a slot or two. But we went to Denver and, and just absolutely crushed them. And I remember the locker room after that game and I'll never forget being like something good is starting here. Next season we turned around, won the division, went eleven and five and played dramatically different football. And I think that the roots of that were in part what had happened at the end of the prior season. Huh. Probably should have done that soul searching 
less in the off season. But um, yeah. yeah so. uh, anyway, so but yeah, to your point though, like these, you know, we are talking about these games like where these teams have the opportunity to spoil division rivals, right? So this is the, it, up until the very end when we talk about the Lions game, whether you know motivation for that might be different. It is certainly meaningful, I think, for all of these teams. Um, and I think to your point. Browns team that has had an underwhelming season, I think is going to certainly play hard in this one. So I'll be curious to see how it shakes out. Um, I guess along those lines, Jets, Dolphins. So the Jets are eliminated, but the Dolphins are not. Field. They are not. Yeah. Yes. The Dolphins need to win and have the Patriots lose on Sunday and they would be into possible. the playoff picture again. Yes, definitely so possible. Th- this one's tough for me because we don't know who's playing quarterback. And I've, I've said this um Earlier, like I really think that the drop off to Teddy Bridgewater, Skylar Thompson, was massive against the uh, Patriots. I mean, Skylar Thompson is a is, he's a he's a like football intangibles off the chart. Um, but I mean, Mina, that was not. I mean, that was like minimally competent quarterback playing and, this past Sunday. I mean, and the Teddy, Patriots the thing was, him. was actually playing pretty well. Until yeah, the pick six. Until, yeah, he yeah. was doing fine. Yeah, he wasn't, you know, they weren't getting the, the chunk plays, but still, like, they were, he was fine. Like, he yeah. was totally fine. He was everything you could have expected. They were a little bit more, like, again, the Patriots worked wonders keeping both Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell in check, but yes. T- Teddy was not the, the issue until that pick six. And I guess I just feel that same way when I look at this team, because you're playing a Jets defense that is also, you know, extremely, extremely... Uh, good at cornerback, and I think, you know, in, they, in a totally different way. A totally way. different way. Yes. The, oh, I don't know. Why I said also good at cornerback. The no, no, I, no. I, what I meant to say was also very capable of eliminating wide receivers from the game. That yeah. you know, obviously the Patriots are not comparable to them at cornerback at all. Um, but at no, any point, I mean, they are. Patriots definitely. I mean, like the output for the Patriots is, well, is actually they're a top five scoring defense. It's just they go about it different ways. Very like different. The Jets have yes. cyborgs, right? Like I mean, yes. And, these the, way, two guys and are the way they'll they'll approach it is going to be totally. To- it's it's actually interesting oh, yeah. because we spent so much time back before you know two I was injured talking about the different game plans for the Miami defense, and I was actually really excited to watch this Jets defense in particular against them because of the cornerback play and what uh, they were going to do to take away some of the Miami's core concepts. But that's not what's going to happen. Don't know who's playing quarterback. Uh, and we do know also that um, this Miami offensive line, which really struggled against New England, is, again, facing a very terrifying Jets four-man rush. Um, so I guess, Field, like, let's start on that side of the ball. Like, do you think that, I don't know, like, Let's say assume it's Skylar Thompson, which, which I think is probably more likely than not based on the language I'm hearing about Teddy's finger, but we'll see. Yeah, here's the context is right now, Skylar Thompson is taking first team reps and the team went as far as adding Mike Glennon to the practice yeah. squad. And you oh, can get your God. jokes off, et cetera, et cetera. But still, the fact of the matter is they now have somebody available to call up as their oh, number two quarterback geez. by Sunday. Um, my guess would be Skylar Thompson plays. And it would be the second time he's faced the Jets. Teddy started that game when they played way, way back earlier in the season. Teddy got hurt after one drop back where uh, he subsequently suffered a head injury. Um, So, and the Jets feasted on Skylar Thompson, as you might expect. Um, It's also different when you have a full week of preparation as opposed to being called up in the middle of the game. That being said... I don't know that a full week of preparation is enough to get Skylar Thompson into a position where he could carve up a defense that has just been absolutely sensational, really, for the entire season, but I thought has come on strong of late. I mean, obviously, you watched that game very closely last week. Like, Geno Smith did his damage 
in the middle of the field. And by the way, like after the first quarter, it was a totally different game. Now, Ken Walker ran really well, so that was a big part of it. But like those two receivers, I know Tyler Lockett got hurt, but DK Metcalf, that might have been the worst game of his career. He got blanked, yeah. He also, I mean, Gino threw him, I posted this, like a beautiful go ball that he, he should have <laughs> yeah. caught. I mean, he did a good job yeah. of, you know, getting over, but um yeah the it's it's the the thing you have against this jets offense i always point to the jags always it's always like three two weeks ago but the jags i thought had the right formula in terms of getting the ball out quickly getting in the hands of the playmakers using the middle of the field um and i'm just i just don't have a lot of confidence in this offense with skylar thompson their ability to do so i also field was kind of was really disappointed from miami's run game against new england um I think we talked about this a little bit. I I guess I thought it would be more creative. Like it felt like they were just kind of going north south and getting stuffed over and over and um I think that, you know, again Mike McDaniel being the the run guru coming from San Francisco, I I was surprised it stuck with that approach because it wasn't working and I would say in this one to go, you know, the best chance the offense would seem to be to gin up something in the run game, but I think it, they've got to be a little bit more creative on that front to try to get Mostert and Wilson going. And Miami, for at least part of that game, was down to their third-string left tackle, Fair. which could be the case again <laughs> yeah. this week, by Sorry. the way, is Teron Armstead. Yeah. yeah, no, he still hasn't practiced this week, and he's obviously such a key contributor to Miami's offensive success. They're kind of getting what they signed up for, though, in Armstead, right? He's played this year and played well enough to earn a Pro Bowl bid, but he's also been injured all season, which is the story yeah. of his career. Like, Maybe a top three left tackle when healthy, but has obviously dealt with a lot of dings and bruises throughout his career. He's a that, that's that's like by the way, he's a huge offensive tackle. Like he has to hit people and get hit a lot. Like I'm not blaming him. That's kind of how the cookie crumbles on occasion. Weirdly, the player that I hardly noticed last week, and I think it's it's going to sound a little bit odd to mention him, was Alec Ingle, their fullback. And hmm. to your point, when you're talking about the run game guru who is Mike McDaniel like I'm not sure any player sort of symbolizes the running concepts that we see in San Francisco more than Kyle Juszczyk right he is indispensable he is the highest paid fullback in the NFL by a mile and it's with good reason Al Ingle is not the player that Kyle Juszczyk is but he's an extremely adept athlete and at some of Miami's best moments this year it feels like Alec Ingold has been right there at the control panel, whether it's leading the way, whether it's being some sort of decoy, whether it's him catching the ball, making plays in space as a ball carrier or receiver, Ingold's been a big factor. And I felt like this past Sunday, rewatching the game, I didn't see a whole lot of, it just felt like Ingold's name wasn't called proverbially really as point. much as you'd think. Yeah, They have been one of the best uh, 21 personnel rushing teams in the NFL this year. So it, that is really curious. Um, and so, yeah, maybe that'll be a, a bit of a change up on the other side you know, of the ball. What's weird, Mina, though, oh, is you'd think, sorry, just the last point yeah. to clean it up is just that, like, you'd think to yourself, like, oh, yeah, well, if Skylar Thompson is playing, like, you know, the run defense can, like, commit extra additional resources. Like, we all know the Patriots this past weekend were not committing additional resources, right? The Patriots yes. literally had a practice squad guy. I think it was a guy signed to their roster last week, like, was a free agent seven days ago or eight days ago, signed activated from the practice squad and like basically starting for them like they were not going to just like stack the box with eight guys and and let Skylar Thompson like you're just asking for it even if Skylar Thompson is not exactly a star quarterback like the play call would just be fine throw the ball 50 yards down the field and let Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddle catch up to it so 
Uh, the Dolphins really, really struggled in the running game last week, surprisingly. I think that would be my other my concern only about the Jets is that they don't have to allocate extra resources to coverage because those yeah. corners are so good at handling, you know, the would hypothetically handling the Dolphins wide receivers one on one. So I do think it might be tough sledding in the run game once again. So And by the way, yeah. This game means a lot to the Jets. And I know they can't make the playoffs, but it means a ton for a team that at seven and nine is improved from last year. But like how often has like culture and sorry for like the ridiculous word, but like vibes been a thing with the Jets this year. People are like, yeah, everything is trending up, right? Like they are trending up, but if they lose on Sunday, they're seven and 10. And like how much of that, like that would include, by the way, one, two, three, four, five, six straight losses to finish the season and seven in their last eight. They need to win this game because so much of what they're doing is obviously going to be determined by the quarterback situation next year. However, that shakes out. No question that the elephant in the room but if you fall six straight, like I think it can cause the possibility of like, is there belief elsewhere? Because the defense is so good, Nina, that six losses in a row to me is inexcusable, right? No matter what the schedule is, and it's 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 been capable teams, no doubt. But if I told you they had a three game stretch against the Lions, Jaguars, yeah, and Seahawks, that's the, I two mean, of not, those games at home, you think to yourself, you can win not, one, right? Not being able to move the ball on Seattle was pretty bleak, and. Mike White did not play well in this game, but... Came back down to earth, for sure. Yes, but guys weren't open outside of Garrett Wilson at times. He missed some guys when they were open, but... And then the run game was not effective. And again, that's against Seattle. You know, it really struggled to stop the run. And I think that, um, you know, there's they have injuries, of course, across the board there, too, in the offensive line. Obviously, having lost Bruce Hall was devastating, but... Um, it's got to be better than it was against Seattle. Against you know a Miami defense that has a ton of vulnerabilities. We talked about this. I think the key in this game is going to be. I mean, with knowing Miami and what they'll we'll see. I don't know if Bradley Chubb will play, but uh, he did play. Are not practicing. Not this practicing. Week as well. Okay, yeah. so they're going to blitz a lot. So I think the question yeah. is Mike White, who's you know thirty second QBR against the blitz. Not that mm. Zach Wilson's any better. Um, you know, are they prepared? Um, for what the Miami is going to dial up in terms of pressure. He was crazy under pressure against Seattle, which is not a very good pass rush, by the way. Made Some of that's the offensive line. Some of that was Miami. Mike White. I thought holding onto the ball a little bit. But that ball's got to come out quick. They've got to have answers for him. They've got to have layups built in. I don't think, you know, it's – it's um, there just can't be as much pressure on him as there were in this last game. But, um, you know, this is – this Miami's defense is pretty unsound – I think was um, had JP on JP Costa. Was he the one who used that word to describe them? I can't remember, but I thought that was a good descriptor because you know they're really really injured in their secondary and that shouldn't be ignored. But there's constant coverage busts. There's horrible penalties at bad times. So they they really have to find a way to take advantage of some of their deficiencies on defense. Yeah, I'm not sure they're getting as much as their talent. Even with Byron Jones being a literal non-factor this year, yeah. like I'm not sure the guys that even still in name are getting are playing quite to the level that you ex- are you expecting them to. And you know, Bradley Chubb's an interesting case of that, right? Yeah. I mean, I it's very early in the Bradley Chubb era in Miami, but Part of, at least part of the conceit of the trade was we're in a position to win right now. Let's go metaphorically all in. And 
since that trade, and, and a lot of other things have contributed to this, but uh, the Dolphins have obviously regressed in a major way with five straight losses right now. By the way, on mention- the, you mentioned the Seahawks, like mm. pass rush, like not exactly being particularly impressive. Can I interest you in uh, Jalen Carter or Will Anderson by chance? All right, let's take a quick break, come back and talk <laughs> about the Seahawks. <laughs> This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight. S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, so the Seahawks do have to beat the Rams to... Get in before we get to the Lions Packers game, which I think we're going to talk about at the end. Um, not a gimme. I just want to say that this is nope, a Seahawks nope. team that is has a lot of issues, struggles without the run. The Rams have been running the ball well lately. Um, I think that's kind of where it starts for them. I'll talk about the other side of the ball in a second, but like, um, you know, the run defense has been better over the last couple of weeks. Um, they got Outwoods back. Uh, in the last game against the Jets, who's qu- quietly very important for this team. Um, but they did lose Jordan Brooks. Really, really horrible timing for him. I feel so awful to tear his ACL in Week 17. Um, and that's not an area where this defense has a lot of depth. Tanner Muse, who came in for him, is a special teams guy. Yep. I don't think he had ever started a game. Um, you know, he was okay against the Jets, but... You know, when I look at this Rams team, we, we know what they want to do with Baker Mayfield. They want to run the ball with Cam Akers. They want to use play action. They were going to get Baker on the move. Um, and it just kind of really, you know, they're not obviously as threatening as, well, most teams in the NFL. But you do have to be sound against play action and against the run. And that is something that Seattle has struggled with. No question about it. And by the way, like Tanner Muse, like a uh, really good athlete. Like he's going to look good, like run around. Um, the big question is going to be like, if he gets a body on him, how does he handle Can he, can he create, can he dislodge from uh, whether it's a fullback or a pulling guard or what have you? Uh, that's going to be the challenge for him. Uh, it's kind of that tweener physically. Uh, but yeah, this is an interesting one. Uh, the Rams are an example of a team that I sort of have been alluding to where like with nothing left to play for. And as a matter of fact, like they might be incentivized to be losing games right now. They don't own their first round pick, but their second round pick becomes less valuable with each win that they accumulate down the stretch. Um, and draft capital obviously is going to be very important to them. But this is a team that has showed that like competing and playing and improving is valuable to a roster and a franchise, even one that just a year ago won the Super Bowl. Um the Rams have impressed me. You mentioned the running game and like Cam Akers reborn. And 
I know that uh, the Cam Akers rejuvenation may not mean that much to this season. They're still 5-11, and 11, but I think it's a really important thing for a franchise going into next year because the Rams do have to be particular about where they make investments and how they make investments. And for a while, it seemed like running back was going to have to be a spot in which they made another investment. It does not feel that way anymore yeah. as Cam Akers is playing the best ball of his career. And this is just two months after we thought there was a chance he'd be traded. Um, but more to the Seattle point, um, talking about them right now uh, and their chances of winning, uh, obviously this is your this is your bread and butter. So I will always defer to <laughs> your insight here on Seattle. But I had a hard time like figuring out exactly like where the key issues were offensively. And you and I talked about this on yeah. NFL Live somewhat recently. And I think that the natural thing to do when a team loses five out of six like it did is it's like ask what changed with the quarterback. So I would probably defer to you and say like during that stretch and it was well, a little well, bit Well, 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 Field. <laughs> I'm happy to answer this question. Uh, I'm uh, assuming some of it is going to turn back to the protection issues, which have reared themselves been more massive, of late. Massive, yeah. and massive. And kind, of kind of a come down for some of these offensive linemen. They're still very, very, very promising players. But, um, you know, it hasn't looked quite as seamless as it did at the beginning of the year where it seemed like Seattle had aced literally every draft pick it made this past year. Yeah, you know, the rookie tackles, have, and they've they've regressed a little bit. Um, I still think they're good. I think they're, 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 they're going to be the foundation of this offensive line for some time. But, you know, on yeah, the interior, really there's been issues, man. Yeah, like yeah. center, guard has been a big problem for this team. Uh, you, I think that was really big in the Chiefs game. Just obviously you're paying Chris Jones. but that's, Yeah, that, yeah that, that's not ideal. Not ideal. But the interior pressure was horrible. And then in the Jets game, it was the same thing. Now, I think the difference you saw, a couple of things jumped out to me in the Jets game. Um, you know, the passing attack was largely neutralized after the first quarter. But a couple of things I saw from Geno Smith maybe the most important. I, I, I thought Waldron in the first half did a good job of targeting the tight ends and kind of avoiding the Jets cornerbacks. And yeah. um, even some of those boot concepts, which kind of didn't work for a while, were effective early on. But Field, one thing that really jumped out to me was Geno Smith was on the move again. And in mm. fact, the biggest play of the game was when he kind of stepped up in the pocket and then flipped it to DJ Dallas. That was sort of, sort of playmaking we saw earlier in the season. He used his legs in key moments, and I think that's so important for him, especially with the pressure issues, um, is, you know, he is the kind of, kind of quarterback who sometimes hangs in the pocket actually a tick too long. Mm. And I... I that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I think that, um, you know, that willingness to move, because he does have you know, decent quarterback mobility and he's good throwing on the run. So I think that's a big thing. And then the other thing is you, you talked about this, like the run game, you know, that was something that kind of got going against Kansas city when they started running Kenneth Walker more from under center. And I think he's, that really, really helps him. Um, and I think, you know, he, he, he can be a little bit boomer bust as a running back, but I thought he was running with better vision over the last two weeks pre than he was sort of at the beginning of the season when he came in from the injury. And I think, uh, that's something you want to see continue against a Rams defense that has been solid against the run, even without Aaron Donald, but just got stampeded by uh, Austin sure Eckler. Austin Eckler. By the way, I just wanted to make one one point that you mentioned with Gino, and it's he's not a young quarterback, but I do think that there's a case that in-pocket mobility is the most underrated and yeah. important trait that we don't talk enough about amongst quarterbacks early. And in-pocket mobility is not necessarily, it's not guys, like, you don't have to be Lamar Jackson to have rare in-pocket mobility. Probably the best ever is probably one of Brady, Breeze, or Peyton Manning. Um, 
and it's feel, it's recognition, it's knowing when to step up, it's knowing when to, and Brady maybe is a little bit too um, inclined to do this now, but when to just like cut bait and just either dump the ball or dump yourself and take a sack. Um, but I think that's a big problem for these young quarterbacks that I see. Mm. And you alluded to it a bit with Kenny Pickett. We've talked about it with Zach Wilson. We've talked about it with Mac Jones. All these guys, really. I mean, even wow. Justin Fields, his advancement, I think, will be in part of knowing that sometimes keeping the play alive a little bit longer as a thrower will actually be better for the offense. I know he's he's a 50-yard run waiting to happen, but I think that could be a key to his advancement going forward as well. Um, and something you mentioned, which, you know, I think was it's good. Like stepping up in the pocket is something that, uh, it's easy for us to describe and talk about, but I think it's clearly one of those things that for quarterbacks can be a tricky thing to actually put into action. You know who's a young quarterback who is great in pocket mobility? Oh, gosh. Trevor Lawrence. So let's talk about the go. Titans yes. and the Jags. Yeah, there you go. Love it. Okay, I was going to say, I thought that was a trick question. I thought, I thought <laughs> no, you were gonna just a me segue. Like, you know, like, oh, yeah, like uh, Desmond Ritter is really doing no. that. I'm like, wait, yeah, what? Something random. Um, yeah. uh, so this is the battle for the AFC South. This is winning in, losing out. This is yeah. for all the marbles. It is for the right to inevitably play at 1 p.m. on a Saturday during the wild card weekend. <laughs> uh, yes. The classic uh, honorary Texan spot. Um yes. So it is going to be Josh Dobbs against this Jaguars team, which is probably why this is not Sunday Night Football. Um, So let's, but but let's let's start with the Lawrence side of things first. Uh, So it is notable the Titans are getting a lot of guys back, and that really matters. I mean, there there were some guys who sat last week because the game didn't matter against Dallas, um, like Jeffrey Simmons. But you're getting Derrick Henry, Denico Autry. Um, you're getting back, I believe, Christian Fulton in this game. You know, this is a Texans defense or Titans defense that was just depleted for mm-hmm. a long time. So they're they're not you know at full strength, obviously, but they are in a better condition against this Jags team. Um, and you know, like during most of the season with those players, this when they had them, this was a good defense. So like, how do you feel that they match up with you know a Jags passing attack that's just been incredibly efficient since yeah. week nine so if you could like imagine like a visual of this game just like an x and y axis the arrow that's going like north uh i guess like northeast and then the arrow that's going southeast like the titans are going downward right the jaguars yeah. are going upward and they're going to meet somewhere in the middle and the question is whether like the titans still have like just enough left on a one game basis to outlast the jaguars or whether the past five games or how what's what's the Titans losing streak at right now? I'm sorry, longer yeah, than that. It's been a while. Six games, like a six game losing streak. Is this just kind of who they are? Like yeah. they're down to Josh Dobbs at quarterback. Like I, I know we can talk about a million nuanced things, but like it's Josh Dobbs and Malik Willis are the two available quarterbacks for the Titans this Saturday. But let's talk about that past defense and how it matches up or might not match up against the Jaguars. And you talked about earlier about how the Jaguars had the secret sauce against the Jets, which was a ton of RPOs. Evan Ingram was just like, everything was caught within five yards of line of scrimmage. And then let's take advantage of a guy who's a unique athlete and let him run for a bunch of yards after the fact. But what makes Jacksonville dangerous is that if they can protect Trevor Lawrence, and that won't be easy with some of the players coming back for Tennessee and the fact that Cam Robinson obviously is out for the season, like what makes Jacksonville pretty unique, though, is if they can do that, is they have the guys that can work down the field. I mean, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, 
Arvin Jones, Jamal Agnew is like a sneaky, important player for them who's not as much of a true receiver, but like he'll chunk up yards in a hurry. They've gotten really good production from basically every player they made an investment in over the past two seasons. So Jacksonville presents a ton of challenges for a Titans defense that in the secondary, especially at the cornerback spot, like they just they just lack bodies. They lack talent there. It's been a problem for them. Their first round pick from uh, two years ago, Caleb Farley is out again. Like the back issue that he came into the NFL with is a problem once again. I mean, there was a while where uh, they were starting a guy, Terrence Mitchell, who began the season on a practice so, squad, and within a week he was like their starting cornerback. Like, yeah, that happens. He, that happens he, this time of the year, right? He played in the last. So these teams met in week fourteen, and he was one of the guys they went after because I went back to. Yeah. Um, and then and the other one being Andrew Adams, who's out for this game, who's their safety. Yep backup safety so now it's going to be his backup who I, who's i'm not going to lie i don't know i don't know who, but but i will tell you this field and i talked about this a little bit on nfl live whoever it is doug peterson is going to go after him i think that's what's like so impressive maybe about this jack or i guess maybe impressive is the wrong word but like i think peterson on a game-to-game basis is one of the best individual game planners right now in the NFL. He is so good during this run where the Jacks have been good. He's been so good at finding ways to attack different kinds of defenses, finding the weaknesses and just hitting it over and over and over, whether it's those misdirection plays against Dallas, you talked about the RPOs and against New York and all this. And I, and I think that's going to be with, with this Titans team that is still strong up front. I think Peterson is going to do a really good job of finding ways to just not run into the teeth of that defense or, you know, find ways to get the ball out quickly and get guys uh, matched to get the matchups that he wants and to, you know, do what he's been doing, which is put Trevor Lawrence in a really good position. You know, coaching is very complicated. There's so much more that goes into it that I could ever convey or ever know. But I always have believed that the essence of coaching is identifying what your players do well and allowing them to do that at an extremely high level. And conversely, by the way, like identifying what the other team does not do well and trying your best to expose them. That's boiling it down very simply. But I do think that Doug Peterson has been the master of doing exactly what you just talked about. And it kind of has reared itself in their past few games. We talked about the Jets game as an example. We saw it this past week against Houston where they said, you know what? Travis Etienne is going to be a really busy guy, and that's okay. If Trevor Lawrence throws for 200 yards, doesn't matter. He threw, he threw for less than that. 152 is the final number, but it was like, why bother, right? Like, like we, we came here with a mission that was to chunk up a bunch of yards in the running game, get, you know, just hound you on defense, and we've seen that consistently from Jacksonville. So I think they'll be prepared to do exactly that against Tennessee, and you don't count Tennessee out. It's the rules of how the NFL works with Mike Vrabel. But I have no doubt in my mind that if this was a seven-game series, I'm taking Jacksonville. On a one game, in a one-game series, it's a little bit trickier. But I ultimately think the quarterback disparity is just like far too great for the Titans to overcome this one. Yeah. I mean, is it Josh Dobbs? Played reasonably well against Dallas. He made some good throws. He also yeah. did turn it over a bit. But for me, it's almost like less about Dobbs and more like he's not in a great situation. I mean, this Titans offensive line is a it, shell of it's, itself. It, it's a shell it's like of itself. The entire team is right yeah, now, right? I mean, right. it's like every you know the, them and the Broncos are amongst. I mean, there are a lot of teams that have had a ton of injuries. I don't want to make it just like that, but uh, the the Titans 
are sort of like Baltimore right now, of teams that are in the playoff mix that are dramatically compromised because of injuries. And I think along those lines, I'm kind of curious. I want to see if this Jags pass rush, that's kind of, it's been really up and down this year. Guys have been hurt at times, but I want to see if they can take over this game. Because when we look ahead to potential matchup with like the Chargers, which seems possible, right? Against a five seed. Um, That's going to be huge for that game too. Can Josh Allen... Trevon Walker, who's back from injury and has been playing, who's been playing, I thought had a really, really nice game. Uh, and even like Chase on was making plays. Um, if those guys can dominate this Titans front, I think it will bode well for the Jags in the playoffs. Yep. And by the way, you are correct. Um, if the if the Jaguars, I'm sorry, if the Bengals beat the Ravens Ravens. early, it is is clinched uh, that it will be Jaguars-Chargers in round one, which, talk about a fun one. Uh, That one obviously took place earlier this season when the Jaguars totally crushed uh, the Chargers. I believe that was the first or second game after the uh, the, the, um, Justin Herbert injury. So it feels like a different context this time around. Mm, That'll be a really good game. Um, Okay. Let's let's wrap with Lions Packers. So um, I kind of alluded to this. If the if the Seahawks lose, then this is this is it winning in for both sides yep. for that wild card spot. However, if the Seahawks win, it's only winning in for the Packers. The Lions are eliminated. They will be playing for pride and you know to eliminate their uh, their rival in Green Bay. Um, I've complained about this. And I, well, I've, I've both complained about this because I do think it is incredibly whack. I will just say that. But I have said if there's one team that will, you know, get it up for their divisional opponent and play hard, it is the fighting Dan Campbells. I believe both of those things to be true. Field, no I, can I ask you this? Like, okay, I don't want to harp on the, the whackness of it. But, like, I was trying to remember, the, like, I feel like the NFL usually avoids this. Am I not wrong? I just feel like they don't usually do this. I was reminded of something by a coworker of ours this week where um, we, as football fans, and obviously we are analysts as well, but as football fans, which is the prism for, through which we were viewing the opportunities this upcoming weekend, like you and I, I think we're both probably in agreement. Like I, I would have flexed Titans Jaguars, right? It is the most clearly obvious thing that has something on the line, right? If the winner of that wins the AFC South, there's no if there's no contingencies, like they win and they are going to the playoffs. And it's possible if other things take place that if the Jaguars, so there is a scenario where the Jaguars could lose and still make the playoffs, but there are other things that could happen that could prevent that from being the case. I think we are reminded of the power and influence of names in sports and that like the final game of the year, you'd rather have two teams, uh, especially one that you know uh, has a name and plenty to play for in the Packers and another one that could potentially have something to play for in the Lions and a team that, as you referenced, is going to give it its all. Like it probably yes. is just a more uh, – it's for the average fan watching – Jared Goff and the Lions, even if they have nothing to play for, is superior to watching a Titans team whose starting quarterback was signed off of the practice squad of the Lions two and a half weeks ago. Competitive balance. Competitive uh, so schmalance. I know. Just I saying. know. It's a bummer. I'm I know. Just I'm saying. with you. I'm with you. Um, okay. I just wish we had like multiple flex windows late. It's almost like, you know, the, the two games being played at the same time would make more sense at 8 o'clock. Yes, right. Story, what if we right? had two like, Sunday night games? That would yes. be sick. Um, yeah. And then you watch, you know, the Lions react in real time. And I was like, right. that when you can right. see the yeah. players kind of like get word on the bench. But whatever. It's happening. It's fine. I'm done complaining about it. I, like I said, I do think the Lions will play hard regardless. 
Um, no question. So, you know, I mean, is it overly simplistic to say whichever of these two teams can stop the run is probably going to win? Um, I, 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 nope. I think, yeah, that's kind of, kind of the the meat of this game. Um, so, well, let's start with the, the Green Bay side. So, Detroit's coming off a very good offensive game against Chicago. Chicago is very mm-hmm. bad on defense. Um, however, this has been a good rushing team all season long. It is a team where if Jerry Goff is protected, those skill players can get to work. Offensive line is very good. Uh, they're going against Packers defense field that was really bad for most of the season, but has kind of been decent the last two weeks. Um, yeah, much better. Better against the run as well, uh, against Miami and Minnesota. Um so I guess let's start there. Like, do you think that that will continue against a Detroit offense that is one of the league's best? We'll see. Um, yeah, so that's, that's first, well. First, let me say the Minnesota and Miami offensive lines are very different from the totally. Detroit. They are, yeah. and yeah, Lions have way more talent. They're healthier. They're playing better. Uh, they have the opportunity to just smack on the ground on Sunday night. Uh, they can certainly do that. Um, what's interesting with Detroit is that like. They have so many different backs that can do damage, and yet every week you have no idea which of them will do damage. Jamal Williams had a monster game this past week, his best week of the season in terms of rushing yards with 144. DeAndre Swift, by the way, or meanwhile, is the most talented of the group, but you have no idea what you're going to get from DeAndre Swift week in and week out. The Lions can do that. I think they will do that. So I think this game might actually, well, who can run the football better may decide it. I will not discount this possibility. Jared Goff has not thrown an interception since these two teams met the last time. That was like nine weeks ago. He has been exceptional, protecting the football. That game was played on November 6th, so it will have been over two months between the meetings of these two teams, and Jared Goff has not turned the football over or has not thrown an interception during that time. Meanwhile, what's catalyzed the Packers' turnaround of late has been that secondary has been playing absolutely ferocious defense and opportunistic defense as well, turning the football over at a much, yes. much higher rate. And certainly turnovers are a bit random. People will argue that, and I think it's a fair argument. They also can be contagious, and I do wonder if that's kind of what's taking place right now with that Green Bay Packers defense. The confidence is through the roof. They are opportunistic, and if this game is not won in the trenches on the or on the ground like we are currently surmising, then I do think it's fair to wonder if, like, the first turnover to take place, like do they do they do the Packers snap the streak? And if they don't, the Lions could very well be well, I don't know about playing in the playoffs, but they could very well be nine and eight by about midnight Eastern time on Sunday. Yeah, I think the scope I, I totally agree that like it I think it'll come down to you know, if the Packers are able to turn them over or if the Lions fall behind, uh, and we'll talk about the Packers offense in a second, and suddenly the ball is in Jared Goff's petite hands in the cold <laughs> um, because it's, you know, that's really the situation that they have to avoid. They want yeah. to be able to maintain that option um, to run or throw. And and I think, like I said, I, I do think that they'll be able to run the ball against. I'm not saying that the Green Bay defense's improvements are totally um, fool's gold. I just think this is a very, very different off type of offense from the ones that they've been playing. And I do think that, and you know, again, there's also an offense where too, like I don't think green Bay can sell out against the run and they don't, that's not really their style. And I think, um, yeah. So I think it, it, there's just no real good choices for green Bay when the score is even or, you know, and 
the Lions are ahead. So on the other side, though, however, I also think Green Bay can run the ball on Detroit. So, um, you know, this is a very, very good running team. This is a team that is where they are because of the run game, the turnovers, and Keyshawn Nixon being like the best returner in NFL history. So he's been amazing. Um, yeah. He, I mean, the hitting yardage cannot be, he, what you cannot, that? yeah, you have I mean, to acknowledge well, that, that, that. That's it. Well, you have to acknowledge it because I don't, I should have looked this up, but I have to think this offense has had like the best starting field position of any team in the NFL during this I don't know streak. the answer, but I'm going to imagine that's feels the case like as well. It yeah. certainly feels that way, right? I mean, like just a ridiculous, I mean, just incredible production from him. Seven straight games with at least 90 kickoff return yards. That hasn't been done since 2000. Uh, he has been truly tremendous for the Packers. Just a great addition this offseason. I know that the blocked punt this past weekend was a rather large folly, but for the year, this Packers special teams turnaround cannot yeah. be overstated. And no surprise with the hiring of Rich Passaccia, who is as good as it gets in terms of coaching special teams. But what's so fun to watch about the Packers offense and the running game specifically is that while they have five offensive linemen, it really feels like on some plays they have seven. Uh, Mercedes Lewis, the big dog, is effectively a left tackle uh, or a right tackle, depending on where he is lined up. He is pushing people around like he is a bully on a playground. Uh, and then Josiah Degura, a former third-round yeah. pick who you know, maybe hasn't been like this game changing pass catcher. Like they use him a ton as far as like movement is concerned pre snap. And those kind of like on the move blocks or edge setting blocks or kick out blocks of defensive backs that are crashing down that are trying to bring everything inside. Like you see that enough to realize that he's a big part of their running game success right now. So uh, they have a ton of scheme diversity and uh, the offensive line is finally getting closer, closer to healthier. Um, oh, and, and that's been such a big difference. Like, can't be overstated as well. Yeah, Sorry, I mean, looking back to being his old self a bit, you know, and yeah, I just think that we kind of know the formula against Detroit. It's going to be a healthy dose of that run game, a lot of outside zone, a lot of RPOs built off of that, which I think they're, again, they'll also have success with against, you know, pretty inexperienced Detroit defense. And I... I struggled to to see how either of these defenses, you know, aside from maybe like Green Bay getting a turnover or whatever, maybe, um, I don't know, I guess the pass rush getting to Aaron Rodgers. But for the most yeah. part, I do think both of these advantages, or these offenses, pardon me, do have matchup advantages. I would say so as well. Uh, going back to sort of like the intangibles, which I've brought up a couple of different in a couple of different games, is my question would be, while Detroit may not have anything to play for, um, it's possible that this is a play-in game for the playoffs. And for the Packers, been there, done that. What is the energy like for the Lions? How do they channel and harbor all the emotions that could come into play if their playoff fate is on the line on Sunday night, uh, playing in an environment that is very different from their home of uh, a domed stadium. Like it'll probably be really cold or at least reasonably cold on Sunday night, hostile environment. How do they handle that challenge? And they have been extremely mentally tough since a one in six start, but is an entirely different kettle of fish going on the road to green Bay playing the back-to-back -back MVP who has obviously not been that player this year, but still um, Aaron Rodgers carries the cachet that every team fears when they have to go play him. Can't wait for this game. I, it's going to be a good game regardless. It's, you know, I mean, no matter what, I know that the Lions will make it a very fun one. And uh, there won't be one of my favorite teams to watch in the NFL. 
this year. No so. two ways about it. Completely agree. Yeah. All right, let's take a quick break, come back, and uh, go through a few more questions for our guest. And now it's time for Dinks and Dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? Okay, Field. So I, I did not, we did not do Bengals-Ravens. Um, I am assuming, and I think this is pretty safe, it's going to be Tyler Huntley um, against Joe Burrow in this one. Uh, Mar Jackson's still not practicing, correct? We could do an entire podcast on just that, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> He's um, not podcast. Yep, not, not practicing. I really have not enjoyed watching this Ravens offense without Lamar Jackson. No, you Jackson. do it because you have to, not because you want to. So right. that would put um, – let me pull up the play. Oh, God, the AFC is such a cluster with all the uncertainty. So let's not do that. Let me just ask you this. Do you think there's any chance that the Ravens with, Taylor, with Huntley beat Joe Burrow? I do not think so. Yeah, um, me neither. Again, uh, the only thing that I want to mention is just, um, you know, obviously it, this applies maybe a little bit less so to Cincinnati, but the uh, the mental state yeah. of this team uh, after, you know, living through that game on Monday night. But I expect Cincinnati to hold serve. Um, the defense for Baltimore is tremendous, but uh, that Bengals offense is a well-oiled, yes. fearless machine right now. Yes, they are terrifying. Um, we saw that you know, on the display on the one drive they had in the game. It was like, and they were, yeah, on the way to number Ooh. two. Yeah. Ooh, gosh. Ooh. Um, okay, second question. Robert Sala, head coach of the New York Jets, said, we're going to stick with Zach through hell or high water. Uh, that's not the exact wording to stick with. I don't remember what he said, but that was the gist of it. Yeah. Question is this: On a scale of one through, I believe him through ten, the Cardinals yeah. tweeting Josh Rosen is our guy. Where would you put this quote? Probably an eight or nine. And <laughs> the reason why is that it's not as obvious where the Jets could turn to, like with Kyler. Excuse me, with the with with the Cardinals. Like they had the number one pick. If they wanted to draft Kyler Murray, they had there was no negotiation, there was no competition, right? For the Jets, any free agent that they would want to pursue obviously is going to have other suitors. Any player they want to trade for is obviously going to have other suitors. And anybody they want to draft is going to have to be available after 10 or 12 picks. So um, eight or nine. Question three. Jim Harbaugh circling the NFL. Yes. (laughs) Yet again. Being linked with a lot of teams. Which team would you like to see Jim Harbaugh on? And I want you to keep in mind that Jim Harbaugh is by far the funniest head coach in terms of petty rivalries, weird quirks, beefs. So keep that in mind when you assign him to a team, please. Uh, Yes. Okay. So there are a couple. So I'm going to do I'm going to only pull from the teams that have already made a head coaching change. You just get to choose where. Yeah. Okay. Well, by the way, Indianapolis is like way too obvious to like, like that would just like make too much sense. So I'm going to go with uh, Denver and just because like Jim Harbaugh and his idiosyncrasies uh, meeting Russell Wilson, his idiosyncrasies, I just don't even imagine. I'm like the way that each of them messages is so entirely different <laughs> from each other. But like, you know, Jim Harbaugh is the kind of guy that still preaches the importance of like drinking milk for your bones, right? At the age of like 57 or whatever he is, right? Like Russell Wilson has a much different approach uh, in terms of his messaging. And obviously he's coming off of a uh, probably, you know, obviously the, the worst season of his career. So uh, that to me would be the most entertaining, like seeing them try to get on the same page and say the same things. Like who would pick up, who would adapt to the <laughs> other's language first is my question. Can you imagine just going back in time to 2013 and saying, hey, Jim Harbaugh is going to be coaching Russell Wilson. Like shocking. Nope. How shocking would that be? Um, that's a good one. I would also, I don't think this is going to happen. I would also like the Arizona Cardinals because I like Jim Harbaugh 
being back in a yeah, division with Pete Carroll. Yes, they don't like course. each other. Of course. That would be... We need more coaching yeah. beefs. We do. We do. And Jim would be good for that. But I will just say this. People, there's fatigue and people, Michigan people think that it's just media trying to create narratives. And then, no. You know what? Until no. Jim Harbaugh gets another Please. NFL job, yeah, I'm going to assume that Jim Harbaugh will one day have another NFL job. That's he, just my own. He, that's he my, wants back into the NFL. Come on. Let's, he could let's. very easily put this to bed. And while he says things like, I think I'm going to be the Michigan head coach next year. There are easy ways to put this to bed, and that's that's not it. <laughs> okay, question four. A um, little bit of interest, intrigue uh, in week 18. Sam Howell is going to be starting for the Washington Commanders after the disastrous outing of Carson Wentz. Taylor Heineke has been benched. Howell, um, was, we talked about him a lot, you know, during the draft process. He was quarterback UNC, very athletic. I thought he looked really good in the preseason. Do you think there's any chance this is like a legit audition for him? Probably too short of a time frame to make it a real audition, Mina. But I do think that some of what he does well can match up stylistically with what the commanders have at their disposal. They have tons of speed at the wide receiver spot and good vertical receivers. Yes. If you go back two seasons ago when Howell was a very, very good player at Diami. North Carolina, yeah. him and Diami Brown could reunite with the commanders. Obviously, Jahan Dotson is exceptional down the field. Terry McLaurin's very good down the field. Um, so color me intrigued by this one start in a game that probably otherwise would not have been nearly as compelling. Also, Dallas really struggles against uh, the option. So, and Sam Howell is quite athletic. So I yes. think there, yep. you know there there could be some interesting things done in this game. I'm I'm much more intrigued to watch him than I am the other quarterbacks. I will say that. Yes, totally agree. All right, last question. As always, comes from Lenny. Mm-hmm. Um, so Lenny is an observer of the ESPN War Room League. He is aware that his mom pulled in Los Angeles Rams after winning it all, finishing in last place. But he also noticed that you finished 13th out of 16, I think after finishing 15th last year. Maybe I'm wrong. I have to go check the league history on that one. I don't know. Yeah, he just wants to know how it feels to be, you know, at the bottom of the barrel yet again. Well, Lenny, um, glad you brought that up. I have been in consultation with um, some NFL teams that have also finished near the bottom <laughs> of the order, and I would let you like to let you know, Lenny, that in order to land your Trevor Lawrence, you have to position yourself accordingly. Unfortunately for the War Room, we don't actually yeah. do the draft order based off of the prior year standings, um, but uh, yeah. Um, no comment, Lenny. Not, no comment. I'm just going to say that our team fought every single week, and we tried our best, and I have learned my lesson. I mean, I drafted Cam Akers, so who am I to talk? <laughs> oh, man. And then dropped him before he came back. Oh, man.